Welcome to the M&A Source Podcast, a podcast brought to you by M&A Source, a nonprofit professional organization that provides training and education for small to mid-sized business mergers and acquisitions intermediaries. In each episode of the podcast, we will interview leaders in the M&A world to discuss education opportunities provided by M&A Source, trends in M&A markets, and useful insights provided by the experts that use them. Thank you for joining us. Hello, and welcome to this edition of the M&A Source podcast, sponsored by M&A Source, the source of opportunity and professional growth for lower middle market mergers and acquisitions, intermediaries, and strategic professionals. I'm your host, Lamar Stanley, Director and Head of Originations at GenCap America, a lower middle market private equity firm based here in Nashville, Tennessee. And joining me today is Rich Mowry. Rich is President of Management Services and Development, a firm which provides private ownership transition advisory services to closely held businesses. Rich specializes in the valuation, value planning, and sale of mid-sized businesses, but his range of skills and experiences is much broader than that. He also personally supervises strategic acquisition searches for selected client corporations, and has been an active member of the board of directors with a number of closely held businesses. And he also brings a wealth of knowledge and practical experience from his personal ownership of manufacturing businesses over the years, varied direct management responsibilities in both public and private enterprises, and advisory experiences in startup companies, turnaround situations, and transactional management. So I'm really excited to have Rich on today. And with that, welcome, Rich. Well, very happy with you. Um, First, Rich, I, I like to start out by um, letting listeners hear a little bit about your background. So if you wouldn't mind, could you give us a little bit about your history in the business? Well, I started way back when as an engineer in large companies and worked for a number of years for Fortune 100 uh, companies. And then eventually we had an opportunity to uh, purchase a small business, which I did. And over the years, I owned uh, three, small, three smaller businesses, sold the last one in the late 80s and uh, began this advisory service shortly thereafter in 89 when I, uh, you know, became a member of IBBA back then uh, and eventually M&A Source in the early 90s when shortly after it was founded by Daryl Faust and some of the other people uh, on the M&A board at that time. And it's been an, an exceptionally good, positive interaction for these many years. Great. And so, Deep history, not only in the business, but also M&A Source. And I think it only makes sense that you actually wrote a book on the topic. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, I've, I've been fortunate to be able to share some of my knowledge. I actually have three books published now. The first one is When is the Right Time to Sell Your Business, which really talks about the preparation that business owners should be making early and the kind of things they should be considering. Uh, it would make every business owner a better client for M&A source members and better prospects for the private equity groups who, uh, who might acquire and help them go to the next level. And uh, second book is a book that uh, is loosely related to the course I just taught at uh, M&A source. The uh, source course is focused on uh, how to use business valuations as a deal maker, the tremendous amount of information there. The, the second book, How Can I Increase the Value of My Business, was written for business owners, as all of my books have been. And it really goes into depth about what a business owner can learn 
how they can better manage their business, how they can create a blueprint for the future to uh, put the valuation to work for them and their business and their family. And the last book uh, I wrote this year during this unique period that we've been in uh, to share a lot of the management knowledge that I've had over the years. It's called, the title is Bounce Back, Survive and Thrive in a Business Crisis. And, you know, this is a unique business crisis, but business owners, you know, have to protect themselves or prepare for business crisis uh, all along the way. None of us know exactly what's going to happen. We had a very unfortunate reminder more recently here, but I tried to share a lot of the uh, basic things that really make a difference, uh, the principles and uh, the marketing tools and techniques that uh, can add a lot uh, to a business if they step back and take a good look at it and begin to build for the future. Completely agree with all of that. I feel like a lot of the content of your books in particular is, is particularly helpful just because it makes business owners step back and think about things, not through the eyes of, you know, working in their business, but on their business um, from the outside. And, and that's what I think a lot of people talked about in the, in the kind of after action reports of your course is it, you know, it, it gives not only owners, but intermediaries, the people who took your course at the conference perspective about don't, you can't look at every business like a seller. You know, you also need to look through the eyes of a buyer. And in light of that, can you talk a little bit, you said that the course was based largely on your second book. Can you talk a little bit about what you covered in it and, and the background to it? Well, the, the, you know, a lot of business valuations are used for, uh, legal actions, divorce, uh, dissolution of, of partnerships, uh, maybe many other things that are maybe not as pleasant. The very best use for a business valuation is for planning. Uh, and, you know, too many people focus on the number. You know, they open the first, sec first or second page and they look at the number. It, it really isn't about the number although there's certainly some importance of, of knowing what the value is at that point in time when the valuation was done. The, the real value is in the research information that's inside the report. So what we did in the course, we took a look at all that research, how it's best done and best presented, both the larger economy, the industry, industry segment, and the particular business in particular, how it's managed, what it looks like, does it have diversification issues in customers or vendors? Uh, does it have unique customers? You know, maybe you have a, a large furniture store chain that has Lazy Boy as a as a unique vendor. You know, that's something that has has some different value to to prospective buyers. So we took a look at all those things, and of course, then we did a deep dive into probably the most important skill for both evaluators and for M&A source uh, members. And that's, you know, how to really get a good handle on uh, recasting the historic financials of the business that you're working with. You know, financials are backward looking and they're tax oriented and they, they do their job as they're designed to be done to get a, and a really good idea how business is operating, what you want to do is to, to look at the, the market-related activity inside that business and take a look closely, not only at the income statement, at the balance sheet, because 
in the end, and uh, business owners don't think of it this way, but in the end, what businesses owners are selling are the working capital of the business, the fixed assets, and the intangibles. And what they receive for that is a price. And we, of course, in the in the business discuss that as invested capital. That's the debt and equity of the of the of the business. Uh, that price development is is what we looked at in some depth. And what happens with a business valuation properly done and properly reviewed, you not only get to communicate with the, with the business owner a lot, but you're preparing for many of the things that you're doing as a deal maker. And that's what we tried to focus on the course. You know, the marketing, where, where and how should you market this business? Where are you gonna find strategic buyers? You know, what information that the financial buyers wanna look at? So the marketing materials and the, the confidential information memorandum can flow right out of a good business valuation. Uh, a lot of the information that we take a look at in due diligence is what is reviewed and collected in evaluation. So as that information, the tax returns, the internal reports, different things are collected, they can be loaded into the cloud and prepared in different phases for release. Uh, so it, you know, the valuation can flow right through uh, into to that phase. And of course, as you go into negotiations and uh, you know move to move toward closing a good deep understanding of just what is in the future projections what's the future benefit of ownership of this business uh, permits you to be a much much better negotiator and uh, you know that deep working facility with what creates value what the projections are what they're based on and why they're why you believe they're correct and what the buyer should base their decisions on uh, is something that, you know, is, is not easy to, to present all the time, but the, the more knowledge you have about where that came from and how it works, uh, the better you're going to be able to move around and, and find that balance uh, to, to get the business closed. You've covered a lot there and uh, there's some really important things that I know during the course, just from having watched it, it's a pretty dense with content throughout the course about what are the value concepts and then how do owners, you know, employ these value drivers. And then also you touched on the financial statements. We're not just talking about providing buyers with the existing financial statements. There's a certain amount of preparation involved. Can you talk a little bit more about that preparation and what are the things that you're drawing out or, you know, mitigating or, or what does preparation of the financial statements mean to you? Now the, the recasting uh, work, the, you know, really takes a, 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 an incredibly deep look at just how much working capital is required to, to operate the business. You know, a good valuator will spend a lot of time looking at the cash conversion cycle in any business and understand, you know, whether there's excess working capital or whether there's a deficiency. And in many, many deals, most of the ones that I've been involved in, the working capital does serve as an elevator in the final deal structure to the extent that there's more working capital closing, there's an adjustment up in price or vice versa. So finding that level where the operating business has the adequate capital, working capital level 
is 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 a really important part of any business valuation and shouldn't be overlooked. And it's something that business owners don't think about because they tend to operate based on necessity and also on their personal approach. You know, so they may have very thin working capital. They may have a lot of excess working capital in the business and getting them to understand that, that there is additional value there that can be retained and what can and should be transferred is just, just one very important area. Uh, a lot of smaller and mid-sized businesses have diversification issues, customer diversification issues. And if evaluation can be done early and those things can be identified, uh, it's possible over time, depending on what the time frame for the, the owner is, to, to make some changes. You know, there's a big difference in acquiring a business that has a 30% customer as their largest customer and a 20% as the second largest than having no customer over 15%. So the, those, the risks are different. And that, you know, those kind of discussions take us for the business owner into the two areas that they do control. They can control internally those kind of risks and value is really based on a combination of the rewards of ownership. That's the net cash flow for the, during the future ownership period and the risks that that cash flow might not be there. So to the extent that the owner can take a look and address those risks by building and adding systems um, by, you know, strengthening the uh, management team, if that makes sense, uh, as well as taking a look at some of these diversification issues and handling them. Uh, not that you can't sell a business that has a lack of diversification. You know, we sold a business a number of years ago that had a 60% top, large, their largest customer. It took us four years to sell that business, but we got a very good price uh, in the end, because we found a buyer who understood something that we probably should have recognized much earlier. The relationship between that big customer and this uniquely structured, really well-managed business was so solid that he wasn't, the buyer wasn't concerned about it. And he also, so he took a much bigger look at the, at this particular customer's business and how good it was and where it was going in the future. And so uh, this, it was a corporate acquirer. Uh, and, you know, that type of thinking and analysis is what you can get if you, if you work, work through a business valuation. And that, as you mentioned so correctly, getting business owners to take a look at their business as the investment that it is, you know, most mid-sized businesses are 80 or 85% of the net worth of the owner. So it's well worth, you know, addressing it as an investment early on working on the business, not just in the business. You know, the, the, the e-myth books are right on target. And uh, we work over the years with our, our clients to, uh, to, to get them to focus that way and to understand what the value drivers are in the business, what creates additional cash flow and how to mitigate those risks. And, you know, it, you know, business valuation can be done today, but the business doesn't necessarily going to be sold tomorrow. Uh, you know, we had one client that did evaluation, uh, didn't hear from them much, although we tried to keep in touch for a couple of years, did an update. Uh, and 11 years later, 
you know, we came back and did another evaluation, took them to market and had a, uh, you know, a, a wonderful result for everybody involved because they had built their business. They had learned the lessons. They had used the information to, to adjust and change their business. And uh, I've had other people who wanted to sell now and who businesses weren't as ready as they thought. You know, it's a terrible thing to work, you know, for decades, put your heart and soul to business and find out that it just isn't worth near as much as you thought it was. So an early valuation can create that, you know, gap if there is one in the person's mind and, and then they can go fill it. It's a, you know, find the gaps and fill the gap kind of process. And by looking at the, uh, the risks of ownership and how to change those and, and mitigate those and how to, you know, increase uh, cash flow. You know, it doesn't take a lot, particularly I work primarily with manufacturing businesses. You know, if you can reduce cost of goods sold by two or 3% and pull down some of the overhead by two or 3%, you can change that bottom line by a substantial percentage. And with a little modest growth of four or five, 6% over a compounding period, you know, it, it isn't inconceivable to double, triple, or even 5x the value of business over a five or six or eight year period. So, you know, it's a matter of learning what's there and business owners, you know, are get buried and frustrated. And it's, it, it's you know, owning a mid-sized business or any business is, is not an easy task. And uh, fortunately, lots of people with great motivation and good skills are doing it and uh, helping them a little bit to add this to their toolbox is what we've been always trying to do. Do you have a recommended timeline? I know you mentioned getting valuation early and how it benefited some of the owners that you've worked with. Do you have a recommended timeline uh, for how, how early is too early for getting a first valuation? I don't, I don't think there is a too early. It, it's a tool. And uh, there's a gentleman in the valuation space, Chris Mercer, who you, you may know, he's over in Memphis. Yeah. Uh, you know, excellent gentleman, he's written a number of books. Chris has a, a discussion in one of his books about the 1% solution. And his, this is his thesis. Our wealth management accounts that we have with our banks or financial planners, we pay, depending on the size of that account, three quarters to one to one and a half percent each year for management. And that's just our wealth management accounts. Those are publicly traded securities by and large. Uh, and we're paying someone to do that monitoring, measuring and, and, and advising. If you have a business that's worth five or $10 million, 1% of a $5 million business would be an expenditure of $50,000 a year on equivalent basis. Now, doesn't, that's not what it costs to get a good valuation done. So getting a valuation as early as possible, beginning to think about your business as the major investment it is, learning the things that you can from the research in, in the valuation can make a huge difference. Uh, many businesses will work with, you know, that time frame was shorter, you know, four or five years. Uh, and certainly we took businesses to market, you know, on shorter periods. But, you know, you know, ideally today, no matter what your time frame is, and certainly, you know, three to five years before a transaction at a minimum. So you have time to do some things if necessary to uh, create that future that you're looking for post-transaction. Well, you talked a little bit earlier about 
recasting. Um, are there some of the most common line items that intermediaries should be looking for? And what are some of the most common ones missed in your opinion? Um, com all compensation should be at market value. And to the extent that, uh, you know, someone is, you may have a great CFO uh, who grew up with the business and doesn't have all the credentials, uh, you know, they may not have the compensation that possibly the market would, would suggest they might have. So maybe there's an adjustment upward there. Uh, the owner may or may not be at market value. The owner's family, if they're in this business, may or not be market value. So all the compensation and all the related drivers should be looked at closely. Uh, most businesses are structured today with the real estate ownership if the if the owner has ownership in the real estate outside the business and you know certainly that rent should be at fair market value uh you know most private equity groups as you know well want to put their capital to work in growing the business they're not typically uh interested in acquiring real estate with the business unless it's special use real estate so if the if the real estate is owned internally by the business, we always separate it out and make it an additional asset and put a fair market value rent relationship in uh, because that's more likely how the deal is going to be done. We're showing the owner that that's likely how the deal is going to be done. And also there are different rates of return for real estate and operating businesses. And, uh, you know, that separation, you know, brings those in into the picture uh, correctly. One place that we see missed by evaluators sometimes is in the uh, pension areas. Uh, depending on the industry, there may be different anomalies, but in a lot of small businesses, 401ks are not all created alike. There can be age-weighted 401ks, there can be substantial payments in there for owners that just like excess compensation should be pulled out. So, you know, digging into a 401k and taking a look at it and looking at what it more likely will be for the new owner is the projection that you want in those recast financial statements. Uh, you know, there's there obviously, obviously other things, you know, airplanes and camps and boats are, are things that aren't, aren't normally required to operate a business. Uh, although if, you know, if, if the owner is, flying to different remote customer locations in his private plane, maybe it is. So, you know, every case is, every case is specific to the situation, but all of those things, every line item in the balance sheet should be reviewed, you know, uh, inventory, uh, accounts receivable, all those things should be reviewed and put in proper perspective. One thing we occasionally see, not by good valuators or, or good deal makers is, if you, for example, found a lot of uh, inventory in the, in the subject that was out of date and obsolete, uh, and you reduced the inventory by a su substantial amount, that really should impact the cost of goods sold as well. So there's a crossover impact between the balance sheets and the income statement. So as you, when you're adjusting an asset in the balance sheet to put it at fair market value, every business owner, every evaluator, every dealmaker should recognize that 
it's, it's very likely that there should be a corresponding look at that same related line item in the income statement. So, you know, those are things that good, good people uh, during the recasting process will, will, will do and, and make effectively work for everybody involved so that you get that clear economic picture of where the business has been over the last three to five years. Because we look at the past to understand the business, but business buyers are buying the future. You know, that may not be like the past and, and it, projection should not be by the, you know, as some linear relationship to the past. You know, that, you know, the, the poorest valuators do that. They look at the past and they make those projections. And sometimes they look at the past and they see a cyclicality in the business based on something that is known within the industry, but they project a straight line future, which is simply not realistic. If there's cyclicality in the past based on things happen in the industry, there's likely to be that same cyclicality that you should find in your projections for the future. So that's something that's sometimes missed is, is getting those projections, you know, not only based on the, the, uh, the plans that the business has, but what the industry looks like and what, you know, how the, that business will fit into that segment of the industry. Right. On that note, um, of looking forward um, that you mentioned. One other thing that you brought up during the course that I feel like is worth reiterating is the difference between accounting and appraising. What is the difference? That's, you know, uh, in the course, we use a little graphic to show this, but uh, accounting is backward looking. It, it's history. It's tax returns. It's management reports on a, on a, basis that looks backward. You know, you're looking at last month, last quarter's, last year's financial statements and tax returns. Appraising valuation work is forward looking. You're looking at where the business is going, where the industry is going. And that's the, the research part of the valuation project is, you know, because it all starts with the larger economy. You know, small businesses are small ships in a big ocean of the economy. And again, we were reminded of that more recently in this past year. And if you go back to 2008 and 2009, we had this, the same reminder back then. Uh, you know, that's one thing that, that we all should think about and particularly business owners and deal makers is that because things are great today, they may not be great tomorrow. So, you know, preparing for those things is, is the first step, but not waiting too long for an optimal transaction is, is also important. You know, the market can make a difference in transactions and the private equity uh, professionals know very well that it isn't always the rate of interest, it's the availability of the funding that can make a difference in how transactions come, come to pass and, and what prices can reasonably be paid. Uh, and so, you know, the owners and part of the discussion in, the, uh, in any good valuation is, you know, relating the rates of return to the market and why they are where they are and how they do move over time so that the business owner and their advisors, both their valuator, and I, I, I recommend that a, a business owner, once they've identified someone to do evaluation for them, they should be adding that person to their advisory team. That's someone that they can rely on, talk to. You don't need, they don't need to do evaluation every year or, or an update, but they can, unless they have a, a buy-sell agreement or something of that nature that, that may require it. But periodically 
up getting updates and having those discussions and understanding what's happening in the marketplace is very important and, and can can moderate some of the timing for an owner uh, and, and their advisors as they, as they move forward uh, with the business. And you spoke a little bit about valuing the assets of the business earlier. During the course, I recall you mentioned the methods, uh, the different methods right. for valuing the assets. Right. We, yeah, we, uh, we in the valuation community look at value three ways and then reconcile those those, those various approaches. The first approach is, is an asset approach. We look at specifically at the assets that are being deployed in the business. And that's part of what we discussed with the, the working capital and, and the inventory and different things. And we you know what's the value of the equipment and you know the various other things in the business. We're looking at that on an invested capital basis. So you know, the fixed assets of working capital and the intangibles are equal to the invested capital. So that's equity and debt. So we, we're looking at businesses on a debt-free basis relative to their, to their assets. And we do the same thing when we move to the other two approaches, which are the income approach and the market approach. Uh, so we you work through the assets. We take a look at those, move those all to fair market value to the extent we can estimate some of the intangibles, we do that. That's a harder process on a direct basis. Within the income approach, there are a number of methods uh, that can be applied. And one of them is not rules of thumb. You know, those are things that are used on the golf course and in the bars for uh, different discussions. Those are not deal-making tools and techniques, nor are they valuation tools and tools. Uh, you know, there's certainly this capitalization of net cash flow and also discounting methods for net cash flow, depending on the, the circumstances and situation and those future projections. And the last group are the ones that people do know that I always caution on their use. I think their best use as a sanity check and they can work very well that way. And those are the, the market methods where we have uh, ratios of uh, revenue. We may have multiples of either EBITDA, earnings before interest tax, depreciation and amortization, or EBIT, earnings before interest, interest and tax. Uh, those multiples, again, they're, they're historic. And what we find in those databases is that you, you some of them are, many of them are different, and there are a number that valuators, deal makers, and business owners should look at. But the, the statistical relationship in there, uh, you know, doesn't always fit nicely into a, into a bell curve. You know, there may be substantially different growth rates or different earning power in the, within the same companies in a, in a particular industry in a database. So a good valuator will sort those out. They will look to, look to the database and find the most comparable business to the subject business that they're valuing. And sometimes if you see market methods in a report that don't match up well with the income method or the asset methods, it's because the valuator didn't take the time to the extent possible to sort through and find the more comparable businesses in those databases, either based on earning power on size or, 
or some other metric that they do have some visibility to. Rarely do you, do you know what growth projections those other businesses in the database may have. And your business may be one that's about to grow at significant rates of you know, 8, 10, 12%. Well, the average business in those databases is probably not growing at those rates. So there are all those kind of things to look at, but you can typically find the profitability and some other things in those databases that will permit you to sort out, find a, a smaller subset, but more comparable companies to make those relationships. And so then when you begin to look at the reconciliation and what we talk about when we talk to business owners that we're taking aim at the value. It's not a precise number, it's, it's a range. The assets is the A, the income is the I, and M is the market. We, and those should reconcile very nicely. You should understand why they're close, but not the same. Uh, and if there's an outlier, you need to understand either why that is the case, or go back and see if the, if the method may have not been applied as, as appropriate as it should have been on a more appropriate basis. Well, stepping back from the course a little bit, are there any books that you, besides your own, or you can recommend your own, uh, that you recommend to people in this business or something you've read recently that you feel like is a good uh, M&A professional topic? Uh, you know, certainly the, the valuation books and, uh, you know, we provide some references in the course for the participants. Uh, you know, the, the original valuation books by Ray Miles, who was a great mentor of mine, he, he helped me immensely when I started in this business. And uh, uh, Ray never answered a question for me, but he got me to the right place all the time. <laughs> and he, he, was, he was just super that way. Uh, and of course, Shanna Pratt, who who anyone that's been to valuation knows, has you know written a, a number of books, and and you know those are those are excellent baseline books for for people to take a look at. A book that I read more recently was uh, Walter Dibble's book on uh, uh, buy don't build, which is a uh, is something that you know anyone thinking of starting a business should consider. And I I've given the same advice to. The younger people who asked me over the years, you know, you know, what do I need to do to start a business? And I, you know, talk to them a little bit about what kind of business they think they want to start. And then I recommend to them that it's better for them to find an operating business, maybe with some warts and problems that they can use their expertise in that area that they want to start the business in and develop the business much faster, much quicker uh, than they can by a, by a startup. A startup is a is a long, hard road, and if you think about it, you know if you were uh, looking at the assets that you'd have to put in place to do a startup, you have to, you know, first develop the products, attract the customers, do all, create all the marketing, uh, you know, find the right operating employees, find the right managers, and find find the outside support people that you need, not to mention the facilities and all the other things that, that go into developing a business. Take, finding an operating business that may not be perfect, that fits your needs is what, what should be done. And that, that's really what, what, what Walker is, is presenting in that book. And, and I, I commend that to you know, both young people who are thinking about that and also to, uh, to uh, deal makers. Uh, you know, this to me, and is actually probably an opportune time for 
people to be who own businesses to be doing two different things. One to be, you know, firming up and strengthening their businesses because they've had a reminder how important that is. And maybe also to find a tuck-in acquisition that that really seems to fit. There may be someone out there who this business wasn't quite as strong as you they might have hoped it would be and is might be better off as part of your your organization tomorrow rather than on their own, you know, going into 21, 22. So, you know, there, there are always opportunities. And uh, to the extent that you can, uh, <coughs> excuse me, step back and find those, uh, you know, you know, this, this could be a time to do that. Well, I've got a long list of questions here from the course that I could continue to pick your brain about, but I think that is a pretty fitting conclusion uh, to this podcast and frankly the year with that little bit of optimism because I do think we are at a unique time when when business owners can take these perspectives and figure out ways to build value in their own businesses and then similarly intermediaries can coach them up on how to make sure those valuations are, are seen best through the, the buyer's eyes. So with that, Rich, thank you for uh, for joining me today. I really appreciate the time. Great to be with you. Thank you. So if you want to learn more about business valuations or about other M&A related topics provided by M&A Source, please visit the M&A Source website at masource.org and please feel free to reach out to the staff listed there. And if this podcast or any others on our feed interested you, I would highly encourage you to join M&A Source if you haven't already and also attend one of the biannual conferences currently virtual, uh, but we hope to be back in person soon where courses like this one are taught. And thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Lamar Stanley, and I look forward to chatting with you again on the next episode of the M&A Source Podcast. Thank you for joining us for the M&A Source Podcast. If you would like to learn more about M&A Source or would like to join, please visit M&A Source's website, www.masource.org, where you can find a wealth of information to include information about M&A Source's biannual conferences. Thanks again for joining, and if you enjoyed the show, we hope that you'll go to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Join us next time for another edition of the M&A Source Podcast.